official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, today we're going to be wrapping up a sermon series that we've called Journey. Uh, because, uh, well, we've been talking about what it means to worship a God who's always on the move. Um, today I want to actually talk about packing for the journey. Um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone on a trip and packed the wrong things? You know what that's like, right? Weather is warm when you go down south, but you've packed cold cold weather clothing or vice versa? Or have you ever packed for a trip and you packed way too much stuff and it actually became quite a drag and it slowed you down and it was a real pain. You had to carry around the stuff that you weren't even using. Well, this morning, um, we're going to be actually looking at the book of Ruth, which Ian um, led us in two weeks ago, but we're going to be revisiting the book of Ruth because there's so much that the book of Ruth has to teach us about journeying with God. Um, We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 6 through 19. And I thought that as we did that, as we look at the book of Ruth, I want us to do a little bit of unpacking. So I brought a really big suitcase here to unpack. Um, I wouldn't want to go on a trip with a suitcase that's full of this much stuff. Um, And um, I would uh, like to um, give us a, a touch of backstory here on the book of Ruth. Um, there's a famine in Israel. And Naomi and her husband, they live in Israel in the town of Bethlehem. And they decide to go to Moab, and they hope that life will be better for them in Moab. And so they uh, relocate to Moab. Their sons marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And then something very tragic and unexpected happens. Naomi's husband dies, and she becomes a widow. And eventually her two sons die as well. And she's now a childless widow. And it has been 10 years since she has left Israel. And now she's looking at returning to Israel. So we have three women who are heading off to Israel, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. But shortly after they head off, Naomi stops them in their tracks and basically says, don't come with me to Israel because I can't offer you anything. Stay here in Moab where you at least have a chance of marrying again and having a family. Your future will be so much brighter if you stay in Moab than if you go to Israel uh, with me. And there are tears at the prospect of parting, but Orpah eventually turns around and goes back to um, Moab. But Ruth clings to Naomi and refuses to turn around and says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Isn't that beautiful? Those really famous words of Naomi. I think one of the things that's so beautiful about Ruth's devotion to Naomi is how much she stands to lose, how much she has to give up in order to accompany Naomi to Israel. She has to give up her culture, for instance, her language, her family, the people that knew her story better than anyone else in the world, the place that had formed her. In short, Ruth is giving up her identity. And when we choose to follow Christ, this has implications for our identity as well. Because we're called to hold on to the things of this world that inform who we are loosely. Because in Christ, we've become new creatures. And the truth about who we really are is wrapped up in who Christ is and what he's done for us 
and what he's calling us to become. How many of you have ever had to wear a uniform for your job or perhaps a volunteer position? So you know what it's like to wear a uniform. Um, It's amazing when you wear a uniform, how much it defines you both to others and even to yourself. When you're wearing a uniform, things are really cut and dry about your role. The people around you know your role um, and they tend to give you respect and some deference around it. So I want to unpack something here uh, in this behemoth of a suitcase. Let's see, I have a uniform in here. I can get it out. Whoops. Forgive the awkwardness. (laughs) So this is, um, let's see, a few summers um, when I was in graduate school, I worked for the National Park Service and I had a uniform. I worked at the Adams National Park in Quincy, Massachusetts. I didn't much love the uniform. It was actually really scratchy and kind of frumpy. Um, But what I did love was the honor of sharing and telling the story of basically being an ambassador of um, of, of uh, our, our our national story to the um, to the public. Uh, I got to give tours of the rooms that John Adams and Abigail Adams lived in, the desks that they sat and wrote letters to each other at, um, the the dining room table at which they uh, dined and, and shared meals with other famous uh, founders of our country. And sometimes giving these tours, people were very moved by the stories that we would tell. In fact, I remember um, that giving these tours was so satisfying that one time at the end of one of my tours, I was saying goodbye to the the people that had been on my tour. I thought to myself, I could spend the rest of my life just giving the same tour of this house. And I'm sure that if I had, that would have been a good life. But God didn't want me to do that. He had other things for me to do. This job with the Park Service was an honor and it was a gift from God, but it was just one stop on the journey. And so there came a day when I had to fold up my uniform and not take it out again. In our culture, in modern America, we tend to build our identities around our work, our roles, and our accomplishments But there's a danger when we do that, when we build our identity around these things, because we are more than these things. We are God's children. And I think that the the danger of over-identifying with our work, our roles, and our accomplishments is that they can actually, even though they may be good things, they can actually keep us from moving forward in what God wants to do in our lives. Our dear friend Karen, who just read uh, from the book of Ruth this morning, Uh, as many of you know, is a professional world-class triathlete. And she has by far more medals, trophies, and awards to her name than anyone I've ever met. Um, And I was so moved once when I heard a story that she shared, and I asked her for permission to share it. And you can actually read the story in her memoir, Just Three Words. It's a wonderful read, and I recommend it. Um, So uh, Karen shared a story about how she had, had... gained and had on display um, in her home these trophies and medals and awards that had begun to catch up with her, as it, as it were. Karen described the thrill of winning a trophy, and then that thrill kind of being followed up by an emptiness um, and, and a, need, a need to do it again, a need to, to add to the collection, a need to prove herself. Um, her collection of trophies and medals had actually become a weight on her, 
Um, and she did something really surprising. In fact, very counterintuitive one day. She gave them away. She kept a few special ones, but the majority of them she actually gave to an organization that re-awards trophies won by athletes to, to people who are suffering from serious medical conditions to honor their courage. And you know what the word is that Karen used to describe the feeling when she gave those uh, medals and trophies away? She used the word freeing. The weight was lifted. She could move on into what God had for her next. I love that story. I wonder if there's anything that any of us here over-identifies with, something that would keep us from moving on in the life that God has for us. What will it take for us to leave Moab? What will it take for us to perhaps give up some of our trophies? What will it take to fold up the uniform and put it away and not take it out again? Well, I have another um, item here that I want to unpack. This one is a little bit more awkward than the last, so forgive me here. Let's see if I can do this. Uh, It's still in one piece. This is a KitchenAid, and somehow this fits under here. There we go. Okay. Uh, A KitchenAid, what every bride-to-be puts at the top of her registry, right? In American culture, a KitchenAid says something about your household, doesn't it? It's finally complete, because a KitchenAid is more than a mixer. It's a status symbol. So when you have a KitchenAid, it's a sign that you've made it. But I wonder if as Christians, should we be holding to the same definition as the world around us when it comes to making it? How should we define what it means to make it? Um, Paul says in, in Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, I don't think Paul is saying that we shouldn't have a KitchenAid. Um, I hear they're pretty wonderful. This is not mine. I'm borrowing it. Um, But I simply want to ask us to think about when it comes to determining what it means to live a good life, are we listening to our culture or are we listening to our maker? Whose plan are we letting shape the direction of our path forward? Is it the world's plan for us or is it God's plan for us? Because whether we know it or not, the world has a plan for us just like it had a plan for Ruth. Here's the plan that the world had for Ruth. The world's plan for Ruth was that she would go back home and she would live with her parents and that she would eventually remarry and have kids. And then when she was in her older years, her kids would take care of of her because you see, um, there was no social security in the ancient uh, world and uh, your kids were your social security. And for women, it was not very easy to be economically independent. So it was very critical that uh, Ruth remarry if she was going to flourish again in her future. This was the world's plan for Ruth. But God had a different plan for her. There's just one problem about God's plan. It was a little bit more risky because it wasn't going to be very easy for Ruth to remarry in a foreign land where she would be a foreigner So she was actually putting her security on the line. Ruth's life was taking a very alternative route. But isn't that what God often calls us to, an alternative route? 
I have a, a number of heroes, and, and one of them is St. Francis of Assisi. Um, anyone know about St. Francis of Assisi? Maybe you know something about his story, uh, his love for animals. Um, Francis of Assisi was someone who had to make a decision between following the world's plan for him and God's plan for him. You see, he was born to a very wealthy cloth merchant in Assisi, Italy in the 12th century. As was befitting the son of a cloth merchant, he loved wearing fabulous clothes, um, colorful, luxurious clothes. He was always the life of the party. His friends actually called him king of the revels. He was set to inherit his parents' fabric business. He probably would have made an outstanding entrepreneur. But Francis met God, and uh, that was in a very surprising way. That's a, a story for another day. And when he met God, his life changed. He started to become disillusioned with the world of wealth and status that he inhabited. Those things suddenly began to feel empty and hollow to him. What mattered now was caring for the least of these. And in his society, the least of these were the lepers, people who were deformed, people who were abandoned, people who were actually treated as cursed. They were forbidden from living in the city. They had to live on the outskirts of the city. Uh, people were terrified of them, but not Francis. He devoted his life to caring for them. And in order to do that, he actually had to step away from his inheritance and even his family. He had to dispossess himself of his inheritance because uh, it wasn't acceptable for him otherwise. The world had offered him an upwardly mobile path, but he chose a downwardly mobile path because it was with the lepers that Francis felt closest to Christ. So I want to ask you, I wonder, what are the plans that the world has for you? Perhaps your company's plans. What are your company's plans or your university's plans or your family's plans? Are they the same as God's plan? If they're not the same, you don't necessarily need to pull a St. Francis and dispossess yourself of your inheritance. But maybe the thing to do is to start praying and to ask God to show you what is the difference between the world's plan for you and his plan. That might actually require taking some time to get away with God and with your heart because the voice of the world and the world's plan booms at us loudly, but God's voice can be very quiet. His voice can be very quiet, but his voice is a very sure voice. So I have one more thing that I want to unpack from the suitcase. It's just a box, um, and you can probably read what it says on it. It says, God. So when Ruth chose to continue on to Israel with uh, Naomi, um, she said, your people will be my people and your God, my God. Now, the national deity of Moab was a, a god named Chemosh, uh, which actually means destroyer. Can you imagine growing up uh, worshiping and being surrounded by people uh, who are part of a religion at the center of which is a god called the destroyer? Chemosh uh, was a god who needed to be appeased and at a high cost. The Moabites actually even engaged in human sacrifice at times to appease his anger. So Ruth would have grown up in that uh, culture, in that religion, but she was clearly intrigued by the God of Israel, a God who redeemed rather than uh, destroyed. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been uh, guilty of worshiping a God 
that is a small God, a small G God. I've been, I've been um, guilty of putting God in a box of subscribing to formulas about how God works. I think that we are masters at limiting God, aren't we? Here are two ways that I think that we tend to limit God. Uh, the first is we can approach God as someone to appease. We try to appease him by doing the things that we think uh, we ought to do, and then by not doing the things that we know we shouldn't do. And in exchange, we think that he'll generally make life uh, go smoothly for us. Um, here's the problem with that conception of God. It's not uh, actually a relationship. It's just an equation, right? That's an equation, not a relationship. And when that equation breaks down, as it inevitably will, because things will at times not go well for us, our faith will be shattered. Here's a second way um, that I think we tend to limit God. We often will ask him for little things, but we don't want to bother him about the really big stuff. We uh, forget what Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew when she said nothing is impossible with God. We forget that he wants to do great things, both for us and through us. And we fail to understand that he wants to write our lives into a breathtakingly beautiful, adventurous, epic love story. Ruth believed that maybe, just maybe, the God of Israel was bigger than the God of Chemosh, or than her God, Chemosh, big enough to actually provide for her as a foreigner and a widow in a foreign land, big enough to even rewrite her life, her tragic life, into a breathtakingly beautiful love story. Well, we trade in our God in a box for God, the lover of our souls, God, the creator and redeemer of heaven and earth. So I have a fanny pack. Anyone here remember fanny packs, icon of the 1990s? Um, I thought that um, now that we've unpacked our suitcase, we've lightened the load a little bit. So the question remains, what should we pack, right? Um, so I thought we would maybe just forget about this suitcase for a while, put that away, and, uh, and make the, the, the traveling a little bit lighter and put, uh, put a few things uh, that we can fit into a fanny pack for, for our, um, our, uh, our journey ahead. So I want to suggest three things that we might want to consider as we move forward in our journeys with God that we, we might want to take with us. And the first is the invitation just a, a wedding invitation for some friends uh, a while back in, in Boston here. Um, the first is the invitation. You've heard this word invitation a lot in the last few weeks during our ser uh, sermon series on journey. God is always inviting us into something. I didn't always believe that to be true. Uh, but then I started meeting with a spiritual director. And at our first meeting, we were sitting down and, and she says, so, what is God inviting you into? And then a month later, she asked me the same question. And the month after that, the same question. And I began to realize that indeed it's true. God is always inviting me into something. The question is whether I was slowing down enough to pay attention to the movements of the spirit in my life to discern that invitation. I think that Ruth knew the invitation of God deep in her heart. She had been paying close attention to her heart, and she'd been paying close attention to God. She was so well acquainted with his personal invitation to her 
that when Naomi tried to dissuade her from going to Israel, and she knew that God's invitation was to go with Naomi to Israel, she would hear nothing of um, Naomi's uh, attempt to dissuade her. She knew the direction for her journey, and she knew who it was who had invited her in that direction. Is there something that God might be inviting you into this morning, or perhaps in this season of your life? Perhaps even there's something that he's been inviting you into for a while now. When you sense that invitation, here's what I want to suggest doing with it. Sit with it. Explore it. Talk to God about it. Dream about it. Let it seep into your prayers. And when you're ready, ask God to show you the first step, the first step in the direction of that invitation. And once you have stepped into that invitation, at some point, I will warn you, things will probably get confusing. And you may wonder if you're headed on the right path. They may even get rough. When that happens, it's good to be able to pull out the invitation, so to speak. Remind yourself of the direction that you're headed in and to remind yourself of who it is that has invited you into that direction. So, I'll see if I can get this in here with my microphone. Invitation for the journey. Next thing to pack. It's always good to have a book when you tra- with you when you travel, right? Um, so, I think one of the things that's really important to take with us on our journey with God is the stories of those who have journeyed before us. Because sometimes it's easier to see the journey in their lives than it is in our own. And that their stories can be maps for us. They can be cairns, lanterns for our path. I believe that Ruth carried with her the stories that she had heard from Naomi and her husband about the God of Israel, the God who delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, the God who had parted the Red Sea for them, the God who gave them water from a rock and fed them manna in the wilderness. I believe those stories helped her to know the way forward in her life. So when I was 16, uh, I'd just become a Christian. Um, A friend of mine gave me this book. Uh, It is called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a wonderful book. There's a lot of theology in this. Uh, I appreciate it now. I had no idea what he was talking about then. However, in the introduction, there's a a long introduction with a wonderful biography of the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And so I read that introduction and I read about how Bonhoeffer, um, how when Hitler came to power, he followed his conscience instead of Hitler. How he led an underground seminary of people who refused to confess Hitler because they confessed Christ about how at great risk to his own safety, he helped Jews escape to Nazi Germany and participated in uh, the resistance. I I read about um, Bonhoeffer's colleagues and how during the war, they actually um, made an opportunity for him, an appointment for him to teach at a seminary in New York City so that he could ride out the war in safety in, in New York and how he sailed across the ocean to accept this position and a few weeks later sailed back because he didn't believe that he, had the, he would have the right to help Germany rebuild after the war if he didn't suffer with Germany through the war. And in this introduction, in this uh, biography of him, I read about how Bonhoeffer spent the last two years of his life in a Nazi prison in Berlin and how very tragically he died just three weeks before the war ended and how he went on that April morning to his execution with a simple prayer on his lips. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story taught me that being a Christian does not mean life will be easy. In fact, it will probably be harder and more complex. But his story has also taught me that God actually gives us power to follow him with hope through the darkest of political times, the darkest of personal times, even to the grave. And I keep going back to his story. And there are other people whose stories I keep going back to because they've been a light for my path. I wonder, whose stories are you reading or listening to? Whose stories are lighting your path? Let's put this in the fanny pack. One more thing. Last thing. Last thing to pack, something that you don't usually pack when you go on vacation, an apron. You see, the journey isn't just about us. It's about so much more than us. Paul says in Galatians, serve one another humbly in love. Our culture puts people on a journey of self-actualization. But as Christians, I believe that we are on a journey of God-actualization. I'm sorry, God-realization. God-realization. As part of that God-realization, I think that we must serve because it's when we serve that he reveals himself, both to us and the people around us. Service was a really big part of Ruth's journey. She sacrificially served her mother-in-law by accompanying her to Israel. And you know what? Her service did not go unnoticed. When she and Naomi arrived in Israel, it was the beginning of the barley harvest. So Ruth went into the fields to glean. And she found herself in the fields of a man with a very good heart. His name was Boaz. And when he found out about her story, he was very touched and he showed favor to her. And one day she says to him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you should notice me a foreigner? She was the lowest of the low. Here is what Boaz replied. He said, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Well, God does reward Ruth. She not only finds a husband, and by the way, Boaz becomes her husband. They have a son. Their son is named Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David, King David. That makes Ruth the great-grandmother of King David, and it also puts her in the genealogy of Jesus. God redeems her story. So let me ask you, are you comfortable wearing an apron? If not, I believe we need to start getting comfortable with that because serving others is at the heart of God's call on our lives. And here's something that I've been learning about serving others. Serving others is moving forward in our journey with God. You simply can't not move forward when you help someone, when you take, uh, some, when you take time and you place somebody else's needs above your own. You may have to stop doing what you're doing, and that may seem like you're, 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 you're being sort of stopped in your journey, that you, you're stalling, that you're not moving forward. But spiritually speaking, when you stop to serve somebody, you are moving miles forward. So put this in the fanny pack. So we've done some unpacking this morning and some strategic repacking. 
And I want to close the sermon in this series by inviting you to think about what you've packed for the journey. What does your suitcase look like? What's inside of it? Are there things that might need to be unpacked and left behind because they're weighing you down? They're hindrances to moving forward in God's plan for your life. I wonder, are there any trophies that it's time to give away? Is there a uniform that needs to be folded up and put away and not taken out again? Is there a little box labeled God somewhere in a corner of your life that needs to be traded in for a breathtakingly beautiful and adventurous epic love story, the love story that God is calling you into? I wonder, are there stories you would do well to pack with you, stories uh, about people who've made the journey before you, who can be a lantern for your path? Is it time to put on an apron and to see how God would reveal himself to you and to others as you take a step forward on this journey by serving him? God is inviting each of us into something. And he's also inviting us as a church into something, something new. And his voice is often quiet and unassuming. So as I said, we may need to take time to get away with God in our heart to hear that invitation. But the invitation he has for us is as sure as the dawn. And I believe that if we will step into it, even just take one step into it, we will begin to find that the journey he has for us is marked by his grace, his provision, his help, and his peace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are our traveling companion on this journey. You are the destination and you are our companions. That you are making a way for us to move forward even when it feels like there's no way to move forward, God. And I pray, Father, for us who feel stuck right now. And perhaps we feel stuck uh, and we know that we're stuck. Or perhaps we feel stuck, but it's confusing because we're stuck in our accomplishments but you have something new for us and some way to use us to bring you glory, some way in which we might grow, Lord, and, 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 and understand more of who you are uh, by, by serving you and by following you. And so I just want to pray right now for each one, one of us in this room, Lord, that you would be encouraging our hearts, encouraging our hearts, Lord, that you'd remind us and show us that you are with us on the journey and that you would show us the step forward, that you would put a lantern on our path, that you would show us whose story, Lord, whose journey ahead of us might be helpful for us, that you would show us what to pack for our journey and, and what to leave behind, and that you would show us how to get back to that invitation when things get rough and remind us who it is that uh, invited us. Remind us, Lord, of how big you are and how much you love us, how much you love us and how much you have already done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 